you can catch up on all the latest Alliance Audio episodes wherever you find podcasts, or you could download the Spotify app on your device for free. Be sure to follow Alliance Audio for notifications every time we release. Welcome to episode 6. Now, I've done the maths and it takes me about two and a half minutes to read one page, so I've made the decision to avoid being cut off at the end in episode, I think, three. Anyway, I'm going to be splitting the chapters into two parts from now on. Hopefully, I'll be able to get them both out on the same day, but we'll just see how it goes. Also, this is the third time I've tried to record this. First time, my online lessons were starting, so I had to stop. And second time, my uh, mother interrupted me and was trying to make me laugh, so that that's fun. Okie dokie, let's get started. Chapter 5. An Excess of Phlegm Harry and Dumbledore approached the back door of the burrow, which was surrounded by the familiar litter of old Wellington boots and rusty cauldrons. Harry could hear the soft clucking of sleepy chickens coming from a distant shed. Dumbledore knocked three times, then Harry saw sudden movement behind the kitchen window. "'Who's there?' said a nervous voice he recognised as Mrs Weasley's. "'Declare yourself!' It is I, Dumbledore, bringing Harry. The door opened up at once. There stood Mrs. Weasley, short, plump, and wearing an old green dressing gown. Harry, dear, gracious Albus, you gave me a fright. You said not to expect you before morning. We were lucky, said Dumbledore, ushering Harry over the threshold. Slughorn proved much more persuadable than I had expected. Harry's doing, of course. Ah, hello, Nymphadora. Harry looked around and saw that Mrs. Weasley was not alone, despite the lateness of the hour. A young witch with a pale, heart-shaped face and mousy brown hair was sitting at the table, clutching a large mug between her hands. Hello, Professor, she said. Watch her, Harry. Hi, Tonks. Harry thought she looked drawn, even ill, and there was something forced in her smile. Certainly, her appearance was less colourful than the usual, without her customary shade of bubblegum pink hair. I'd better be off, she said, standing up and pulling her cloak round her shoulders. Thanks for the tea and sympathy, Molly. Please don't leave on my account, said Dumbledore courteously. I cannot stay. I have urgent matters to discuss with Rufus Scrimgeour. No, no, I need to get going, said Tonks, not meeting Dumbledore's eyes. Night. Dear, why not come over to dinner at the weekend? Rumors are mad are coming. No, really, Molly. Thanks anyway. Good night, everyone. Tonks hurried past Dumbledore and Harry into the yard. A few paces beyond the doorstep, she turned on the spot and vanished into thin air. Harry noticed that Mrs. Weasley looked troubled. Well, I shall see you at Hogwarts, Harry, said Dumbledore. Take care of yourself, Molly, your servant. He made Mrs. Weasley a bow and followed Tonks, vanishing at precisely the same spot. Mrs. Weasley closed the door on the empty yard and then steered Harry by the shoulders into the full glow of the lantern on the table to examine his appearance. You're like Ron, she sighed, looking him up and down. Both of you look as though you've had stretching jinxes put on you. I swear Ron's grown four inches since I last brought him school robes. Are you hungry, Harry? Yeah, I am, said Harry, suddenly realising just how hungry he was. Sit down, dear, I'll knock something up. 
As Harry sat down, a furry ginger cat with a squashed face lumped onto his knees and settled there, purring. So Hermione's here, he asked happily as he tickled Crookshanks behind the ears. Oh yes, she arrived the day before yesterday, said Mrs Weasley, wrapping a large iron pot with her wand. It bounced onto the stove with a loud clang and began to bubble at once. Everyone's in bed at once. Of course, we didn't expect you for hours. Here you are. She tapped the pot again. It rose into the air, flew toward Harry, and tipped over. Mrs. Weasley slid a bowl nearly beneath it, just in time to catch the stream of thick, steaming onion soup. Bread, dear. Thanks, Mrs. Weasley. She waved her wand over her shoulder. A loaf of bread and a knife saw gracefully onto the table. The loaf of bread sliced itself. And the soup pot dropped back onto the stove. Mrs. Weasley sat down opposite him. So you persuaded Horace Slughorn to take the job? Harry nodded, his mouth so full of hot soup that he could not speak. He taught Arthur and me, said Mrs. Weasley. He was at Hogwarts for ages, started around the time of Dumbledore. I think. Did you like him? His mouth was now full of bread. Harry shrugged and gave a non-committal jerk of the head. I know what you mean, said Mrs. Weasley, nodding wisely. Of course, he can be charming when he wants to be, but Arthur's never liked him much. The ministry is littered with Sulcon's old favourites. He was always good at giving leg-ups, but he never had much time for Arthur. Didn't seem to think he was enough of a high flyer. Oh, that just shows you. Even Sulcon makes mistakes. I don't know whether Ron's told you in any of his letters. It's only just happened. But Arthur's been promoted! It could not have been clearer that Mrs. Weasley had been bursting to say this. Harry swallowed a large amount of very hot soup and thought he could feel his throat blistering. That's great, he gasped. You are sweet, beamed Mrs. Weasley, possibly taking his watering eyes from motion at the news. Yes, Rufus Scrimgeour has set up several new offices in response to the present situation. Arthur's heading the office of for the direction and confiscation of counterfeit defensive spells and protective objects. It's a big job. He's got ten people reporting to him now. What exactly? Well, you see, in all the panic about you-know-who, odd things have been cropping up for sale everywhere. Things that are supposed to guard you against you-know-who and the Death Eaters. You can imagine the kind of thing. So-called protective potions that are really gravy with a bit of Bootuba pus added, or instructions for defensive jinxes that actually make your ears fall off. Well, in the main, the perpetrators are just people like Mundungus Fletcher, who've never done an honest day's work in their lives and have taken advantage of how frightened everybody is. But every now and then something really nasty turns up. The other day, Arthur confiscated a box of cursed sneaker scopes that were almost certainly planted by a Death Eater. So you see, it's a very important job. And I tell him it's just silly to miss dealing with spark plugs and toasters and all the rest of that muggle rubbish. Mrs. Weasley ended her speech with a stern look, as if it had been Harry suggesting that this was natural to miss spark plugs. Is Mr. Weasley still at work? Harry asked. Yes, he is. As a matter of fact, he's a tiny bit late. He said he'd be back around midnight. She turned to look at a large clock that was perched awkwardly on top of a pile of sheets in the washing basket at the end of the table. Harry recognised it at once. It had nine hands, each inscribed with a name of a family member. 
and usually hung on the Weasley's sitting room, though its current position suggested that Mrs. Weasley had taken to carrying it around the house with her. Every single one of its nine hands was now pointing to mortal peril. It's been like that for a while now, said Mrs. Weasley in an unconvincingly casual voice. Ever since you know who came back into the open, I suppose everybody's in mortal danger now. I don't think it can be just our family, but I don't know anyone else who's got a clock like this, so I can't check. Ooh. With a sudden exclamation, she pointed at the clock's face. Mr. Weasley's hand had switched to travelling. He's coming! And sure enough, a moment later, there was a knock on the back door. Mrs. Weasley jumped up and hurried to it. With one hand on the doorknob and her face pressed against the wood, she called softly. Arthur, is that you? Yes, came Mr. Weasley's wary voice. But I would say that even if I were a Death Eater dear, ask the question. Oh, honestly, Molly. All right, all right. What is your dearest ambition? To find out how aeroplanes stay up. Mrs. Weasley nodded and turned the doorknob, but apparently Mr. Weasley was holding tight to it on the other side because the door remained firmly shut. Molly, I've got to ask you your question first. Arthur, really, this is just silly. What do you like to call me when we're alone together? Even by the dim light of the lantern, Harry could tell that Mrs. Weasley had turned bright red. He himself felt suddenly warm around the ears and neck and hastily gulped soup clattering his spoon as loudly as he could against the bowl. Molly Wobbles, whispered a mortified Mrs. Weasley into the crack of the door. Correct, said Mr. Weasley. Now you can let me in. Mrs. Weasley opened the door to reveal her husband. A thin, balding, red-haired wizard wearing horned-rimmed spectacles and a long and dusty travelling cloak. I don't see why we have to go through that every time you go. Come home, said Mrs. Weasley, still pink in the face as she helped her husband out of his cloak. I mean, a death eater might have forced our answer out of you before impersonating you. I know, dear, but it's ministry procedure, and I have to set an example. Something smells good. Onion soup? Mrs. Weasley turned hope Mr. Weasley turned hopefully in the direction of the table. Harry, we didn't expect you until morning. They shook hands, and Mr. Weasley dropped into the chair beside Harry, as Mrs. Weasley set a bowl of soup in front of him, too. Thanks, Molly. It's been a tough night. Some idiots started selling metamorph medals. Just sling them around your neck and you'll be able to change your appearance at will. A hundred thousand disguises, all for ten galleons. And what really happens when you put them on? Mostly you just turn a fairly unpleasant orange colour, but a couple of people have also spouted tentacle warts all over their bodies. As if St. Mungo's didn't have enough to do already. It sounds like the sort of thing Fred and George would find funny, said Mrs. Weasley hesitantly. Are you sure? Of course I am, said Mr. Weasley. The boys wouldn't do anything like that now, not when people are desperate for protection. So is that why you're late? Metamorph medals. No, we got rid of a nasty backfiring jinx down in Elephant Castle, but luckily the magical law enforcement squad have sorted out out by the time we got there. Harry stiffened a yawn behind his hat. Bed, said none deceived Mrs. Weasley at once. I've got friend George's room all ready for you. You'll have it to yourself. Why? Where are they? 
Oh, they're in Diagon Alley, sleeping in the little flat of their joke shop. As they're so busy, said Mrs. Weasley. I must say, I didn't approve of it at first, but they do seem to have a bit of flair for business. Come on, dear, your trunks are already up there. Night, Mr. Weasley, said Harry, pushing back his chair. Crookshank slept lightly off his lap and slunk out of the room. Good night, Harry, said Mr. Weasley. Harry saw Mrs. Weasley glance at the clock in the washing machine basket as they left the kitchen. All the hands were once again at mortal peril. Friend George's bedroom was on the second floor. Mrs. Weasley pointed her wand at a lamp on the bedside table and it ignited at once, bathing the room into a pleasant golden glow. Through a large vase of flowers that had been placed on a desk in front of the small window, their perfume could not disguise the lingering smell of what Harry thought was gunpowder. A considerable amount of floor space was devoted to a vast number of unmarked sealed cardboard boxes, amongst which stood Harry's school trunk. The room looked as though it was being used as a temporary warehouse. Hedwig hooted happily at Harry from her perch on top of the large wardrobe. <laughs> then took through the window. Harry knew she had been waiting to see him before going hunting. Harry bade Mrs. Weasley goodnight, put on pyjamas, and got into one of the beds. There was something hard inside the pillowcase. He groped inside it and pulled out a sticky purple and orange sweet, which he recognised as a puking pastel. Smiling to himself, he rolled over and was instantly asleep. Seconds later, or so it seemed to Harry, he was awakened by what sounded like cannon fire as the door burst open. Sitting bolt upright, he heard the rasp of curtains being pulled back. The dazzling sunlight seemed to poke him hard in both eyes. Shielding them with one hand, he groped hopelessly for his glasses with the other. What's going on? We didn't know you were here already, said a loud and excited voice, and received a sharp blow to the top of the head. Ron, don't hit him, said a girl's voice reproachfully. Harry's hand found his glasses and he shoved them on, though the light was so bright he could hardly see anyway. A long, looming shadow quivered in front of him for a moment. He blinked and Ron Weasley came into focus, grinning down at him. Right? Never been better, said Harry, rubbing the top of his head and slumping back onto the pillows. You? Not bad, pulling over a cardboard box and sitting on it. When did you get here? Mum's only just told us. About one o'clock this morning. Are the muggles alright? Did they treat you okay? Same as usual, said Harry, as Hermione perched herself on the edge of his bed. They didn't talk to me much, but I like it better that way. How are you, Hermione? Oh, I'm fine, said Hermione, who was scrutinising Harry as though he was sickening for something. He thought he knew what was behind this, and he had no wish to discuss Sirius's death or any other miserable subject at the moment. He said, What's the time? Have I missed breakfast? Don't worry about that. Mum's bringing you up a tray. She reckons you look underfed, said Ron, rolling his eyes. So, what's been going on? Nothing much. I've just been stuck at my aunt and uncle's, haven't I? Come off it, said Ron. You've been off with Dumbledore. It wasn't that exciting. He just wanted me to help him persuade his old teacher to come out of retirement. His name's Horace Slughorn. Oh, said Ron, look, looking disappointed. We thought... 
Hermione flashed a warning look at Ron, and Ron changed at, changed tack at top speed. We thought it would be something like that. You did, said Harry, amused. Yeah, yeah, no umbrage has left, obviously. We need a new defence against the dark arts teacher, don't we? So, uh, what's he like? Looks a bit like a walrus, and he used to be head of Slytherin, said Harry. Something wrong, Hermione? She was watching him as though expecting strange symptoms to manifest themselves at any moment. She rearranged her features hastily into an unconvincing smile. No, of course not. So, um, does Slughorn seem like he'd be a good teacher? Dunno, said Harry. He can't be worse than Umbridge, can he? I know someone who's worse than Umbridge, said a voice from the doorway. One's younger sister slouched into the room, looking irritable. Hi, Harry. What's up with you? It's her, said Jenny, plonking herself down on Harry's bed. She's driving me mad. What's she done now? asked Hermione sympathetically. It's the way she talks to me. You think I was about three? I know, said Hermione, dropping her voice. She's so full of herself. Harry was astonished to hear Hermione talking about Mrs Weasley like this, and could not blame Ron for saying angrily, Can't you two lay off her for five seconds? Oh, that's right, defend her, snapped Jenny. We all know you can't get enough of her. This seemed an odd comment to make about Ron's mother. Starting to feel like he was missing something, Harry said, Who were you? But his question was answered before he could finish it. The bedroom door flew open again, and Harry instinctively yanked the bed covers up to his chin, so that Harry and Ginny slid off the bed onto the floor. Okay, this is the end of part one in chapter five. Be sure to come back soon so that you can listen to part two. Okay, take care. Bye!